back, everybody. This is the Changelog, where a member supported blog and podcast that covers what's fresh and what's new in open source. This show is hosted by myself, Adam Stikoviak, as well as Andrew Thorpe. Say hello. Hey, how's it going? And we're also joined by our fellow Changelogger, Steve Klavnik. Hey, everybody. And uh, you can tune in live to this show like, like you can today. It's Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time right here on 5x5. You can check out the past shows we've recorded at 5x5.tv slash changelog. And this is episode 90, and we're joined by Avdi Grimm, maker of Pair Program With Me, and Ruby Extraordinaire. Welcome to the show, Avdi. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So where do we, where do we kick off this call? I mean, I know we got kind of a huge docket of things to talk about. Um, maybe for the uninitiated, somewhat introduce yourself. You're a podcaster yourself, a writer, and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. Where do we begin with you? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a hacker. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a hacker. That's me. Yeah, uh, I'm a hacker. I've been uh, working uh, a lot with Ruby for the past several years, many years. Um, but uh, I don't know. What else do you want to know? I'm a family guy. I've got lots of kids. And, Why don't you give uh, us a little bit of insight into some of the work you've done uh, with Wide Teams and Ruby Rogues and that kind of stuff? Okay, so um, yeah, that's the uh, I guess the broadcaster side of my my life. Um, <clears throat> I have been doing a podcast of my own for the past few years. Uh, it's called Wide Teams. It's at wideteams.com. And it is dedicated to disperse teams, uh, remote workers, people that are working geographically removed from the other people that they're working with. Um, and the goal there ha- has just been to kind of collect stories from people find out how people are working on dispersed teams and, you know, what special strategies they have to make it work and what tools they're using and what they like about it, what they don't like about it, all that stuff, mainly just to sort of, um, you know, connect people like that and, and uh, you know, help us learn from each other because I was working remotely and, and uh, there just didn't seem to be a lot of resources when I got started. Yeah, those resources um – are kind of plentiful now. And I, I remember, you know, two years ago ish when I started my full time remote job, it was it was difficult to find any kind of um you know resources out there to help me just know like what would make my life easier. Right. So looking at some of the stuff you've done, um, you know, with wide teams specifically, um and now, you know, even a little bit more with with the idea of pairing and, and, and remote pairing and things like that, man, it would be nice to uh to have these resources at my uh, disposal when I first got started a few years ago. Um, I love the name, I, man. Why Teams is such a perfect name for distributed <laughs> teams. I mean, where did you come up with that? Thanks. Uh, same way I come up with with anything else. All the all my name naming ideas. I go for a long walk. Go for a long walk. What about <laughs> uh, what about your 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 Twitter bio? How many questions do you ever get about that? I mean, do people think you're a <laughs> demon or a daemon? <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's uh, uh, 80% angel, 10% demon, and the rest is is hard to explain. Um, that Actually, I don't know if anybody's ever asked me about that, but um, it is a reference to an Over the Rhine song. Nice. Um, First year. Uh, I stuck in the sort of the Unix spelling of demon just, you know, because nerd. See, I was I was <laughs> thinking you were really just playing on the fact that you know what a demon is, but and you were hoping <laughs> that maybe nobody else did, but uh, anyways... So the the resources on Y Team. So you started this podcast how long ago? Uh, I you know I'm not even sure. I'd have to I'd have to look, but it was a couple of years ago. Um, actually, probably more than a couple now. 
Yeah, we're on. You're on episode eighty-one now. So, yes. however long ago it was, you've definitely uh, you've definitely gone into the depths of distributed teams with some of these people here. I see here on the front pra- front page you have Ernie Miller of Living Social. Mm-hmm. Um, heard I got a chance to hear him talk at. Uh, I want to say it was Ruby. Oh, it was Big Ruby Conference in Grapevine, Texas, and he talked about this. He talked about the idea of um, you know what it. What does it mean to be happy in your job? And, you know, it's not money. It's not, uh, you know, it, he, even, he even went as far to say it's not the people you're working with because you'll find people that, that you love to work with at a lot of places. And right. to him, what he said, that the, the absolute most important thing about being happy at your job is, is being happy at your job, wherever that might be, whether you're driving, working from home, you know, whatever it is. And he's obviously, you know, a remote worker for Living Social. And so he was saying, you know, kind of, what we're going to echo here today, which is that, like, if possible, the idea, the ability to work from the comfort of your own home is is tremendous. And you, mm-hmm. you kind of hit on it uh, when we chatted a little bit earlier, Avdi, with, you know, you love that you can work from home because you, that means unlike the traditional, you know, business mindset that comes out of the Great Depression and on in America, we as, you know, as as workers, as people that are in the workforce, get to spend more time with our family. And that to me, that's something that makes up for any level of, you know, financial compensation that you could find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a huge deal. And it's exa- exactly, you can't really, um, you know, you can't really count it up in, in monetary terms. Well, here's a question for you. Maybe to kick off this conversation. Are you a, are you part of a distributed team right now? Uh, I can't really say that I am. So, I mean, I was part of many different distributed teams for years, but, uh, my job has recently changed um, kind of dramatically. My job description is now, I guess, a screen screencaster uh, primarily uh, because I, I launched Ruby Tapas, which is my, my screencast service. Yeah, and, that's awesome. Um, and it became popular enough that I was able to devote myself to it full time. So um, that's kind of a, a, a one man gig. So I'm not I'm no longer you know working with other freelancers on a job or you know, working as part of a distributed startup or, you know, any of the other things that I've done. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know Ruby Tapas and you can go to it at rubytapas.com, um, the description of it, like many of your projects is just perfect. It's short screencasts of gourmet Ruby. Um, <laughs> and awesome. yeah, it's awesome. And so these are some, you know, some great resources. It's very, very affordable. I highly recommend them. Uh, my question is, how much of an influence did Ryan Bates and uh, Railscast have on you when you were starting this? Well, I mean, uh, people like Ryan Bates, you know, I mean, well, particularly Ryan Bates, really yeah. broke ground. Um, I He's mean, a pioneer. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the influence there is is the fact that he could, you know, that he was there and um, just made it clear that it's possible to to do a professional screencast, you know, and to, to do that as your job. Uh, you know him and and um, and others. Uh, I suddenly had a brain fart, but uh, somebody help me out here. Um, <laughs> well, Ryan, I think he was a pioneer in terms of like just leading the way. I mean, he was one of the very first, at least in the Ruby spectrum, doing screencasts, and he did it very simply, right? Like he was just breaking ground on like how simple it was. He had this de facto template for all of his, you know, all of his screencasts, and I think he'd even gotten. Uh, Ruby Hero in 2009, not so much for that, but just his impact to the community. Right. Yeah. yeah. And to, to kind of hit on a few other ones that you may have 
heard of. You got Peep Code. Um, yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, Rails best practices and RailsTutorial.org. Those guys. So. And Dar- uh, Gary's Destroyal yeah, Software Gary. wouldn't existed as yeah. well. Exactly. And yeah. my, Gary, short, my short-lived project, uh, Watch.Steve, which no one forget, no one knows about, which is amazing. <laughs> That's what I always tell people: is like, if you're going to try something, try it, because if you fail, no one will ever know or remember anyway. So, like, I totally did this a couple years ago, and no one cared, and so it disappeared off the face of the internet, and now no one knows. So, yeah, Gary, Gary Bernhardt was a big inspiration for me as well. Cool, cool. Yeah, this is. It's cool. I mean, to see. So, you're not. I don't know how. What's the best way to say this? The to to do screencast to get to some level of um, you know credibility. Credibility is the right word, but but at some point you have to prove to people that like the the code you're writing is is good code. You know what you're right. doing is quality stuff, and and you call it gourmet Ruby. So, what do you think it was that? Because for me, I think the first time that I ever heard of uh, Avdi Grimm was probably when I read. Um, exceptional Ruby, which okay. is a tremendous book. Um, Thank you. How how do you think? What do you think kind of gave you a little bit of that credibility? The 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 I don't know if notoriety is the best word, but just the ability to go out and um, start to sell your what ultimately isn't even necessarily a product. It's a it, you're sharing knowledge. So what do you think got you to that point? It's just an incremental process, really. I mean, I think it's probably similar for anyone. You know, you start to write things here and there. I started to blog. Um, you know, a while back, long around 2006 or seven. And, um, you know, I found that, that people seemed to like some of the stuff that I wrote and eventually I got around to, to doing a talk or two. Uh, and that's where exceptional Ruby came from was I did a talk and then I was like, wow, I've done all this research about exceptions. Uh, it'd be cool if I could kind of, you know, recoup the, some of the time somehow. Uh, so I turned it into a book. Um, and people like that too, you know, so it's really just like, you know, the confirmation of the market, you know, people buy something, people don't seem to hate it. People don't like, you know, ask for their money back and they actually say, say nice things about it. And eventually, um, eventually it kind of come, breaks through my assumption of, of I'm just another dumb programmer that maybe, you know, some of the stuff that I have to say, not everybody knows. Before we get into the, uh, what I think the, the meat of the show is going to be with pairing. Uh, I have a question for you. What do you mm-hmm. think about, what are your thoughts on being a, uh, exceptional master what are your thoughts on exceptions as control flow? <laughs> I'm not a fan. <laughs> um, when you, when you, so you, would you do exceptional Ruby as a talk before you actually wrote the book or no? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I did. Okay. Was, so would you get that question often when you would talk on exceptions? Uh, I think a few people probably ran that by me. Um, I think, um, I did make a point, if I recall correctly, I think I made a point of including catch and throw even in that talk. Um, <laughs> And uh, I was actually I got to uh, I got to use that that transformation just the other day. I was working on the discourse code base, and I submitted a pull request converting um, an exception used as a, as as control flow into a throw and catch, uh, which is sort of nice. the approved Ruby way of doing that. Right, right, cool. Yeah, that's. I think that I don't. I think that might come out of my Java days back in college. But that's a question that I. I think I've had many long well, arguments for an, with developers a non-local, on it. So for a non-local return in a language that doesn't have you know something like throw or, throw and catch or continuations or anything like that, um, sometimes it's the only thing you can do. Yeah. Uh, do we need to give some background to some of this context, just for those who may not be Uber Ruby developers but want to kind of catch up with what this means? Yeah, go ahead, Avdi. Why don't you explain um, 
which part? <laughs> so you get exceptions. What's, what's this method of catching and throwing? Okay, so uh, a catch and throw in Ruby is a construct that's actually very similar in implementation to exceptions. It's it's another way of sort of tossing something up the call chain, and it unwinds the call stack until it it gets to something uh, that can catch it. Uh, so it actually, you know, describing it, it sounds a lot like exceptions, and it is, but it's specifically intended for non-exceptional cases. It's specifically intended for the case where you want to, you know, just do a, an early termination, but you need to kind of do it non-locally. Um, the the circumstance that I saw this in most recently was uh, a sax parser, uh, which of course is is hand you hand the, the parser off to or you you hand an event handler class that you write off to a parser, and the parser then calls event methods on that uh, event handler that you wrote, um, and at some point uh, in this the one I was looking at they realized realized okay we're done now we don't need any more XML, um, but how are you going to tell the parser that? Uh, and there wasn't any way to tell the parser yet parser okay stop stop pulling data stop going through we don't need any more just end it here um and so they were using uh, an exception they were raising an exception of the call stack and then catching it higher up um and uh it, using throw and catch is a bit nicer in ruby for that it's a, it's it's cleaner it looks it actually looks better there's less code on the page you don't need to define a special exception just for for it because you're throwing a symbol instead of an exception it's just generally um better looking down into the rabbit hole, Adam. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm I'm there with you. I'm so right there with you, honestly. I, it's kind of neat though. I mean, because it seems like uh, it might have came about as like a hack, but it's a good technique, a good method, and it's you really don't have any other way to get around it. But it's a good way to use constructs in Ruby to achieve your goal. Yeah, well, well it's, it's one of those cases that you you almost never need. I mean. I would hate to see a code base that was using them all over the place because that would be really scary. It doesn't seem like it's the the most reliable way, but every now and then you need to break through a layer of somebody from your software through a layer of somebody else's software back to your software again, and that's where those you know sort of non-local terminations come in. Gotcha, gotcha. Right, and the the notion or the concept of an exception is very old. It's not it's not anything new to Ruby or anything. So, um, but that that's an argument. That's a debate that has been had for years amongst developers so i think, I think throw and catch uh specifically i think they may have originated in like um a lisp uh like um scheme or something i'm not certain yeah cool so okay so to kind of get to the topic du jour um to keep up with the gourmet ruby oh idea. yeah i caught that <laughs> i'm with you <laughs> uh okay so one thing we want to the thing we kind of want to get to is is pair program with me um and why don't you give us an introduction? It's a like I, I think the best way to describe it, um, Abdi. Instead of calling it a product necessarily, it's more of a movement or more of an idea yeah. that is kind of building a community. So why don't you give us an, some insight into what it is, where we can find it, and where you'd like to see it go? Okay. Well, let me let me start off with a little bit of history. Um, I've I, I'm a big fan of pair programming. Uh, I'm gonna uh, uh, should I assume that most listeners are familiar with pair programming, or should I introduce that? Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yeah, it? Yeah, I would definitely say okay. introduce it. Uh, pair programming is the very simple idea of programming, um, re- not programming so- solo, instead sitting down with somebody else and, and programming. Um, so it's it's not exactly groundbreaking, but uh, uh, it's part of it was part of the original extreme programming practices, um, and probably one of the most controversial of them. Uh, you know. Partly, I think, because programmers like to th- a lot of programmers like to think of them as, themselves as solitary beasts, and uh, 
partly because there was a perception that, well, if you take two programmers and you put them in front of one screen, then you're going to have, have your, uh, your project speed. Um, and, uh, but it turns out that it's an incredibly effective technique, uh, for, for many, many reasons. Um, you know, number one, it's kind of constant code review. I mean, code review has been found to be one of the most effective ways of avoiding bugs that we know of. And pair programming is a way to always be, be code reviewing. Um, it's a great way to retain focus. Uh, I've found that in, when I'm pairing with someone, I stay focused and, you know, I don't get distracted nearly as much. Um, cause, you know, who, who, no, your pair probably doesn't want to pair with you on Twitter. Right. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> you kind of feel like, you know, I should probably stay focused on the task at hand. You don't know um, the kind of developers I pair with. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like, you know, pair every other word on, on a tweet or Careful, something? Careful, they could be listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Write this. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know, so um, it's uh, one of the big benefits that I like about it is the effect on morale. Um, you know, I found that sometimes, sometimes I'm having a bad day. Sometimes I'm working on a piece of code that just bums me out. And I really don't want to touch it, and I don't want to deal with it, but I have to. Um, and having uh, somebody to deal to go through that with you can be a huge pick me up. Um, and uh, gosh, there are so many good things about pairing. Pairing keeps you. Uh, pairing makes you smarter. Um, programming alone, you can do some really dumb stuff. I've found. Like, um, let me give you an example. Uh, recently I was writing some, working on some backend code for Ruby Tapas. And, um, I was basically trying to pull some data out of the shopfront service that I use to use a third, third party shop, shopfront service, uh, called DPD. And, um, earlier I had actually worked with them to, to define and like, um, to get a, a, a feature rolled out, which was, uh, that you can sign up to the, the Ruby Tapas videos as an RSS feed in like iTunes uh, or Miro or a bunch of other programs. And I had actually like worked with them on that. I'd sort of laid down what the RSS format should look like for it and all this, this stuff. And, and then I'd moved on. So later on I was working on some backend code and I was, you know, working alone, not pairing with anyone. And I was working on pulling data out of their website and it was just basically screen, screen scraping because they don't have an API for this stuff yet. And, I had finished all this really complicated screen scraping code when I got into a conversation with somebody on Twitter and about this, the screen scraping code. And they said something about, well, it can't be that hard parsing the RSS feed uh, to get that data back out. <laughs> and this huge light bulb sort of crashed down onto my head um, <laughs> as I realized that I had been sort of blindly screen scraping information that was in this RSS feed that I had helped define. (laughs) (laughs) That is the kind of stuff that happens when you program alone, or at least when I program alone. Yeah, it's not, and it's, it's not just that either. I mean, if you think like, if you're a developer and think about, you know, oh, I've solved this problem before and and it might not be the best, most efficient way to do this, but here, let me just copy and paste this code. Well, you're not going to do that if you have your colleague watching over your shoulder, you know, like... And and just to kind of real quick, in case to fill in a gap, in case anybody doesn't understand the concept, I don't think we actually said it. But when you have two people in the same room pairing together, 
typically there's one person that is actually sitting at the keyboard doing the typing right. and another person that's watching that's like, you know, looking over your shoulder and you're talking about what you're doing. He's watching what you're doing, pointing out things as you do them if they're incorrect kind of a idea. Yeah. And there are a couple of different – I mean there are different models of it. Um, you have sort of classic – uh, navigator driver pairing where basically the navigator is sitting back hands off the keyboard but they're actually doing most of the thinking they're telling the driver what to do what to code um, driver is responsible for actually getting it onto the page making sure that you know they don't make too many typos and um, you know hitting hitting the the button to run the tests and all that stuff um, and the the navigators kind of freed up to sort of wave their hands and think and uh, maybe look up documentation and stuff like that Um and they may they may well switch off periodically. Um, you know, traditionally, if if like the navigator ran out of steam, they might switch around switch around, and you know, maybe the driver says, "Well, I think I know I think I know what to do here," and so they switch off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there there are other things like um, ping pong pairing, uh, which is a a method of pairing that uh, works well with test driven development, where uh, basically one write one person will write a test, and then the other person has to has to make it pass, and then they, they keep going back and forth like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and sometimes it's it's you know less defined; it's more organic. It's just you know two people sitting there and and uh, trading the keyboard off as as they see fit. Um, some people actually set up desks. If you're co-located, they actually set up desks where the, there are two keyboards plugged into the um, into the same machine. And I've noticed that. With remote pairing specifically, the more organic style is what kind of seems to to fit, and that we're we're talking to each other as we're looking at you know we're sharing it a screen with Wemux or something, and right. as we're looking at that we're we're talking to each other, and um you know we, we you kind of just have to get a feel for the other person and how the other person works, and you know so me and some of my coworkers that as we do it, uh, if I if I notice something and and, and you know I, I know how this person works. I know when it's appropriate for me to jump in and type something and to back out, and it just kind of happens naturally for us. So I think that tends to be. What do, what do you think? That I think that tends to be more common with remote pairing. I don't know. It I is mean, hard. I think it depends on the technology you're using and the kind of connection you have. Um, I mean, so I've actually done a fair amount of, uh, quite a bit of uh, remote pairing with, using screen sharing, and. Um, that tends to be less of, a, of an organic handing the keyboard back and forth kind mm-hmm. of thing just because uh, most screen sharing software has latency that's high enough that it's really impractical to type if you are on the remote end. Right. Um, so it partly depends on what kind of technology you're using. So what yeah, happens whenever – I mean it's, it's great if you're in that situation when you're sitting in the same room. But what mm-hmm. happens – and I, I mean I know some of the answers to these questions, but I'm just kind of curious from your perspective and the reason why we're having you on the show is to talk about this, this deep pair programming mm-hmm. topic. But you know what happens when you're not? And obviously you've got answers for that because you did the podcast Why Teams and you've talked about this heavily. So I mean how does the situation change when you're not face-to-face or not in the same room? Yeah, I think the, the truth is that it doesn't change a, a huge amount. Um, obviously there are some technical hurdles. Uh, there are various technologies to, to bridge that gap. You know, like like we said, there's screen sharing. Uh, another very popular um, technique is to use some form of Tmux uh, to share a terminal. And the nice thing about sharing a terminal is that it's very low bandwidth, and so 
uh, it actually becomes practical for somebody remote to to type on your screen because the, the they don't have to send that very many you know that many bytes. Um, and there are various yeah I mean there are subcategories of that. There's hosting it on a like a shared machine in the cloud versus hosting it on, on somebody's own machine stuff like that. So you mentioned Most of the Mux and Tmux. I mean, how how much Andrew do you think we should explain some of these things because I don't want people to well, assume. Oh, we can link to that kind of stuff in the show yeah, notes. Can, but I, I, I want to say that I don't, I don't, I actually don't find the the technology all that interesting. At, at yeah. you know, we're at the point where it's it's totally possible, and that's kind of all I care about. Right. I mean, it's yeah. it's constantly progressing. We keep having new stuff. Um, there's a new there's a new screen sharing service called Screen Hero, which is kind of cool because it's really really fast, and you get you get, you each get your own cursor, your own mouse cursor on the screen. Um, you know, and there will be more, you know, interesting tools in this space. But, you know, in the end, um, it's more about what you do with the tools. Right. And and real quick, the technical hurdles involved are typically hurdles you have to jump over once. And once you get over those hurdles, you don't really have to deal with them anymore. So, yeah, pretty much. We don't need to focus too much on the tools because, you know, that can be different for everybody. Um, so to, to kind of move on, you know, again, we'll share all that stuff in the show notes. But to move on from this to pair program with me so now we kind of have an idea yeah. of what pairing is and so yeah um, some of the reasons why it's beneficial um, so go ahead yeah i mean so I, I i'm a big fan of for all those reasons i'm a big fan of pair programming uh and then i did something kind of crazy last year for like the latter half of last year uh i stopped i kind of stopped doing traditional consulting work which is what i've been doing for a while and i became what i think of as a consulting pair programmer uh, and basically what I did was I took appointments with people to pair program remotely for two hours at a time. That's what I did for my job for uh, probably like six or eight months. Um, and it was awesome. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And, um, and you know, a lot of people, people seem to get really get a lot out of it. And I at the end of that, I the it sort of that sort of came to an end. I still do that. I still do open source pairing sessions, uh, but I'm not doing that as my job anymore because, like I mentioned before, uh, Ruby Tapas really took took off, and so I made that my my main focus. But um, you know, coming out of that, I just felt like I wanted more people to have that experience. Um, you know, especially more people who maybe are not part of a team, a, a co-located team where they get to pair program every day. Um, I wanted, I, I really wanted to see more people who are isolated or who are. You know, living maybe they're in a, a city, but it's not a big tech hub city, so they're they're not um, around a lot of other programmers, or they're like the only programmer on their team, or for whatever reason, um, are not getting a chance to pair program. Uh, I want to, I just, I want to see more programmers benefit from the experience of pair programming, and uh, so I decided that I kind of wanted to just basically start a movement. And that's kind of where – so the URL is, is pairprogramwith.me. Yeah. There's a couple of, uh, there's a couple of these out there, but it seems to be that and, – and maybe this is because of people like Steve Klabnik, who I don't think you've said a word yet, Steve. I've said one or two very briefly, but yeah, staying out of it. <laughs> but Steve has kind of you know, embraced this, um, and I think you know, we have some of the more – without trying to sound like a you know, suck-up, some of the more – uh, well-known Rubyists in the community that are starting to embrace this concept, and mm -hmm. I think that, that that will help this to move forward. So um, pairprogramwith.me, again, is the URL. And the idea is that you can – basically you're just 
there's nothing special that's necessarily happening with this project. This is just making it this is helping you to get an idea to share with the world that you are available to pair. Yeah. I mean, the, the website is almost incidental. Um, you know, I wanted some sort of focal point, um, but when I launched it, it, it had a badge and nothing else. So it had a badge you could put on your site. And that's, you know, the badge says pair with, it says pair program with me. Um, or maybe it says pair with me. I need to, need to check. Me, but anyway, yeah. pair with me. Um, but you know, it's, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the badges that you see on some websites that say fork me on GitHub. That's, that was kind of my inspiration. Um, and, and that was really all I launched with. And, and that's, uh, that's when I kind of kicked things off with a talk, um, at, uh, ancient city Ruby, um, uh, a couple months ago. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, an, it's an idea. The idea is, uh, you know, number one, pairing is awesome. Number two, you don't need to be in the same room to do it. Um, and number three, all you really need to do is ask. Um, I, I guess the, you know, for me, the biggest thing is sort of inspiring a culture where we ask each other, Hey, do you want to pair on this? And half of that is the asking. And half of that is having, having an environment where it's okay to say that, you know, having an environment where it feels natural to say that. Um, and so I kind of wanted to get people to start, uh, putting this badge up. Be just you know to kind of put a welcome mat out to to make it um, feel like yeah it's okay to to say hey would would you pair me with me on this and I think that the one thing that you find in especially in the Ruby community and and I've spoken to some Python guys and this is I think in every community but in the Ruby community one thing that you find and when we had our uh, a few a few episodes ago we talked about Git Tip and one of my concerns for a project like that is that you have all these rock star Ruby developers that get together, and this is just a way for them to, to, to make each other feel like even more of rock stars. Right. And so the whole idea behind Pair, Pro, pair Program With Me, we need to say PPWM. We need to say it. <laughs> or just say Pair say. You can just say Pair With Me. <laughs> the whole idea behind Pair With Me is kind of taking that barrier away, right? So this is yeah. like if, if you're a – I, I don't know, Ruby Rockstar, I don't know what to call yourself, but if you know, you kind of know, like, hey, I, I have some clout, like, I, I work on some bigger projects, you know, like like Steve, you work on a bunch of stuff, you're on the, you know, do Rails contrib- contributions, you do a lot of stuff. Um, if you make this known to the general public, then you're bringing that barrier down a little bit, and you're saying, hey, like, you might kind of, you might look at me as a Ruby Rockstar, but, but I'm available to help you, to help you learn, to help you solve a problem, to help you do whatever it is that you need to do. Right. That doesn't necessarily even mean that, you know, every single, like, you know, Steve Klabnik is not my coworker who I'm going to reach out to every time I have a problem to fix my problems for me. But but it does say that you are making yourself available in cases where you're needed and if you have the time and if you have, right. you know, whatever. I mean, like I said, I I do open source pairing sessions um, and – um, and those have been those have been really neat for me. And, and what I really like about them is, you know, those are free sessions, obviously. And, and uh, they've they've often been the case. They've often been been times when I get to work with someone who's really new to programming or new to Ruby or new to whatever you know technology we're working on. Um, and that's a it's a fantastic experience. Um, you know, I, I highly recommend it to anybody who's kind of advanced at what they do because um, it's just you get to experience that, you know, vicariously experience that thrill 
of, you know, learning something new, uh, you know, that, that, oh my, you know, wow, I didn't know you could do that. That's amazing. You, you get to experience those, mo- those moments all over again. Um, yeah, it's like we forget that, uh, there was a time where you had to learn what it meant to assign a variable. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel, I fear that, that maybe sometimes people might look at the idea of pairing with a newbie and think, wow, that's going to be tedious. But the, the truth is it makes you feel amazing. Um, and, and so I guess really like my biggest call is, is out to people who are kind of in that position of, you know, knowing, knowing whatever, whatever language they work in, knowing it pretty well, being pretty good at it, you know, maybe being seen as, as a, a guru or a, a master or whatever. Um, I would love to see more people in that position, uh, kind of put up the, the welcome mat and say, yeah, come on, pair with me. It'll be fun. Um, I think it, there's a lot, I've seen a lot of people, you know, who are, who are newbies who feel like, um, you know, these people are unapproachable, you know, their, their programming heroes are unapproachable. And, um, you know, I, I think we all know, I, I, well, <laughs> I guess the newbies don't know, but you know, I, you know, I, we're not unapproachable. I, I'm not, a, on a, I try not to be unapproachable. I don't really think any of the, the people that I, um, you know, see at a, a lot of the Ruby conferences are remotely unapproachable. Um, and, uh, and you know, we're all just programmers. If people still yeah. think there's like secret sauce, like I, so I've done a couple of these sessions, a lot of these sessions now, I wasn't actually even at Avdi's talk. I just saw him tweet about it and I was like, sounds good tweeting. And then I was like, Oh, I have like 15 <laughs> appointments this week now. Which is so awesome. Looks yeah. like I'm pairing and it went real well. And I actually did yesterday and today as well. Um, random pair with me stuff as well. But, um, I had somebody literally say to me like, Hey, I'm real sorry that we keep writing this code and this test fails, and then like it's taking a while to get it to pass. And I was like, I don't know what you think I do all day. But, like, <laughs> I run my tests and they fail, and I try to fix them and they don't work, and then I run them again and then they fail. And so like you know, it's all we're all just programmers. It's not it's not a big deal. Um, but yeah. you're Steve Kladnik. You don't have to write tests. Yeah, Everything works that comes out of your fingers. Stupid. So this is actually what happened. Obviously, <laughs> said earlier, like you know, when you feel really bad about code, it's great to pair with things. Um, and so actually, that's what I did today. Um, Assuming it passes a little bit of review, I'm going to commit this to Rails later today. But like, um, so I found a regression in Rails because of the readers of the Rails for an action book found a discrepancy between like beta one and RC one, and so um, I figured out what it was and I got a failing test and I tried to fix it and it didn't work. And uh, I was like, wow, this feels really stupid. Like basically, just when the password confirmation is nil or empty string, don't worry about it which like super trivial and not complicated, but I couldn't get my freaking test to pass. And so I ended up like tweeting finally like, hey, I'm feeling really dumb. Could somebody pair with me on this? And we paired and I thought we got it working, but it turns out we didn't. So today I did the same thing. I was like, hey, is anybody interested in like working on this bug? And so finally after two pair with me sessions, I've managed to like, the the diff is like a three line diff or something. It's not even complicated. It's just that like talking with someone is so helpful. Um, Yeah. You know, and what's hard is different based on time and how you're feeling and all that other stuff too. So, so how how concise do you think the topic needs to be? So if you if somebody reaches out to you and says, "Hey, can you pair with me on this?" How exact does that topic need to be before? If the topic is too broad, right? There's too big of a learning curve for somebody that you don't know to maybe want to get involved. So. Like how exact on a, you know, that specific instance for you, Steve, you were like, here's the test, this is failing, and I can't figure out how to get it passed. That's pretty specific. Like you don't need to understand anything else other than what you're doing. But if somebody comes to you and says like, you know, hey, um, I need to, 
I need a shopping cart. Like that, you know what I mean? Like that, that's too broad to, to be able to really sit down at one time and say, let's work on that together. So where do you, Avdi and Steve maybe, where do you consider the kind of the sweet spot with like how precise do you need to be with the, with the thing that you're trying to work on? Um, I don't know. I haven't really thought that hard about it. Um, you know, I try to avoid, I try to, if, if somebody approaches me and is like, uh, you know, I want to make a new Facebook, then, you know, then I'm going to say, hey, can we, you know, sort of contract the scope a little bit? Um, but it's kind of, I don't know, it's one of those organic things. I, it's, it's each, I think each, each pairing session kind of works out its own parameters. I don't have anything specific on scope, but I just like limit it to, to time. So I'm like, oh, I only have one hour. Or I only have two hours. And then, you know, if if the goal is to learn, then you can get two hours worth of learning, regardless of whether the scope is huge or small. So I find that's much easier in terms of also with people's scheduling and expectations, you know, that it's not going to last like longer than a particular amount of time. So that was one of the things, yeah, the other day was, I was like, hey, I have a call in an hour and a half, so we can work on this up to that amount. But like, you know, I have this other hard boundary. Um, so, yeah. With your interests and some of your skill sets, that means that typically I'll get an hour to two to, to build a hypermedia API with you. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I haven't done that with anybody yet, but you know, that would be, that would be fun. Um, mostly it's been <laughs> rails and rescue so far is what I've done most of my pairing on. Cause people are very interested in like how to work on rails. And then like, it's the same as any other Ruby project. You clone it you run some tests, you write a new one, you make a pass. But I mean, obviously it's a big project. So, um, you know, that can be complicated to, to be perfectly honest. And, I, and maybe I shouldn't, shouldn't let this on, but I've had, um, I mean, I've had pairing sessions that kind of just devolved into answering questions, uh, or having a conversation. So, and that's good. I mean, because what – so Kenneth writes on a show a few weeks ago, talked about um, in Python, and, and we have this in Ruby too, like you can read all the books you want, but there's this there's this set of tribal knowledge that you pick up as you go and as you do things wrong and as you read other people's blog posts and you watch Ruby Tapas and you you know there's this tribal knowledge that – isn't necessarily in any book, right? It's hard to just teach all of Ruby in one book. So for newbies to come to you and, you know, you might, they might have a very specific problem, but if it, if it kind of breaks down into just like a question and answer and, and education session, that's good because that's a, that's an opportunity for you to share that, that tribal knowledge to share, you know, like this is best practice. This is what we tend to do in this world. So here's some insight. And, and I mean, who knows if that's, if that gets the the, the Ruby newbie the uh, most confidence that they can have to to continue on, it, that's probably the the best use of that time, is it not? Yeah, absolutely, and and that's one of the biggest reasons that um, I kind of got this started was um, the idea of just spreading spreading ideas, spreading knowledge. Um, uh, what I think of as kind of mim- mimetic diversity, you know, a di- diversity of ideas. Um, and I think that pairing does that better than anything else. Um, and it's good for us as programmers. I mean, having a wider, getting to learn from, from a, a wide variety of other programmers experience, I think, you know, makes us well-rounded, makes us better at what we do, gives us more, more tools in our toolbox when we're confronted with a problem. Um, it's just all around good. If I could jump in here real quick on the, on the notion of approachability and some of the, I guess, potential of like having a, and we have this question here at the end of the show and I'm excited to hear what your answer is, Avdi, but like, you know, you have your programming hero and you want to maybe, you know, for some, you might just have a problem you want to solve. Like for example, what Steven 
Andrew were mentioning earlier, but how do you, how is this breaking down the barrier, breaking down the wall of actually getting to pair with your programming hero? Um, well, I think, you know, the ideal scenario for me is, is maybe that programming, programming hero, um, puts out a, a pair with me badge, um, or puts, you know, tweets pair with me and, and you say, Hey, can I do it? And they're like, sure. Um, you know, I think that's kind of the ideal scenario because it's, it's the lowest barrier to entry for somebody who might feel a little nervous about asking. Um, but, um, you know, in general, I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say it's a lot easier when you're invited than if you're trying to, you know, come knock on the door of a stranger kind of a thing. Yeah. But, I mean, something else that I'm kind of <laughs> trying to encourage. Yeah. It, you know, something else I'm trying to encourage is just to – is that I think – I mean, I could be wrong in this. Um, one of the, the questions that I've asked people when I've talked about this is, you know, basically, if somebody came to you and said – Hey, I really like what you're doing. I love what you're doing with Project X. Um, could we pair sometime? Um, I ask that question, and I usually see a lot of, uh, or I ask if you know, what would you say to that? Would you say yes to that? And I usually see a lot of hands go up when I ask that question. Um, you know, I think that that most people are pretty open to this kind of thing, and so I think that if you have some way of reaching that programming hero of yours. Uh, if, you know, if they put their, their contact form up somewhere or if they make their email address available, uh, or, uh, if they're just out there on Twitter or something, if, I think, it, you know, if you politely say, hey, I, I really like what you're doing with such and so, um, do you think we could, uh, you know, do you think I could pair with you sometime? You know, the worst thing that can happen is they ignore you. Yeah, it's true though because I think the the fear of your you know people are afraid of the program their you know whoever they would consider to be one of their heroes and it's probably this self made you know delusion that you have that they're gonna you know treat you like you're an idiot and it's kind of the whole crux of open source and it's kind of what we preach to people is you know just ask because the community while there is you know and, and again I've seen this far too often where somebody will commit a um, pull request to some you know repository and say hey this is something that i would like to do what do you think and and they just get a response like this is stupid you're doing it wrong and it gets closed that does happen obviously it's unfortunate but it does happen but that's not the norm right I normally know, I the norm. normally when you submit something even if it is something that's pretty you know questionable the the responses you'll get typically will be more like okay well did you think about trying this way this is what we tend to you know to say is a better solution to that problem and that's the norm right so people are afraid of submitting their code people are afraid of of the world seeing their code because they're afraid of the response they're going to get typically that response is a lot more positive than what they expected and it it's more encouraging than anything to get you to contribute more code yeah. so when people finally break the wall down and start contributing to open source, you find that their contributions jump because they they get encouraged about the response they're getting rather than fe fear of being treated poorly. You know, right? Yeah, and something that I, that I kind of want to get into doing more is, um, you know, if if I just don't have time or if I've got a huge backlog, um, I'd like to actually do more sort of referring people out. You know, I'd, I'd like to, if nothing else, be a, kind of a nexus where people can say, hey, can I pair with you? And I'll be like, uh, well, I, I really can't right now, and I've got a huge backlog of pairing requests, but here's somebody else that you might you might enjoy pairing with. Um, so I, I guess that kind of brings us to a good place then. 
pair program with Stop Me. So it's a Rails app, which you know for what it is might be a little heavy handed. <laughs> but um, yeah. does is that does, is there a future? Is there? Would you like to see something like that? Maybe like a I don't know, like a queuing system or something where you can maybe say, hey, I'm available right now, and um, then somebody else can come and say, okay, this person's available. Let me ask them. Like, is yeah. there anything like that you would like to see? There, happen? there are a bunch of young sites out there um, along those lines, and I've tried to list most of them on pair program pair program with dot me. See, I have trouble saying it too. <laughs> um, uh, and I don't know, like, so the idea, I mean, the idea with the site is basically to be kind of a community owned thing. I mean, I, most of the stuff that's happened since I put it up has been a uh, pull request that people submitted to me. Um, and I think, um, you know, I've definitely talked to some of the people that are involved with it about something along those lines. Uh, I have some concerns about, uh, that, that it would be easy to make something that actually wasn't that you, wasn't as useful as it seemed like it would be. Um, I know that I don't want to get into the, the rabbit hole of like scheduling cause that's right. a huge mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a little concerned, like I wouldn't, what I don't want to do is build a system that winds up sort of reinforcing, um, circles. Like, you know, you were talking earlier about sort of the, like the circles of experts, you know, all pairing with each other. Um, and you know, I wouldn't want it sort of reinforcing that, um, or kind of leaving people out in the cold if they if they put just the wrong tags in their in their post or something like that. So I think it it requires a lot of thought um, to be genuinely useful. But um, I certainly you know I I do expect that site to kind of expand and, and offer more features for you know more more ways of finding people to pair with as time goes by. So then you're kind of leaving it open, right? Yeah. As a true open source project, it, you would yeah, like very, to see very community. open. It's not. It's not like I have a master plan for that site. I have a you know milestones or anything like that. Um, you know, the idea was I wanted to get the idea out there first, and I wanted to then you know and attract some people to the cause and you know see see what you know what other people felt like would be the most useful things to have there. Like I think pretty soon I'm uh, there's going to be it's a small thing, but I'm going to put like a little widget on there that that um shows all the people tweeting pair with hashtag pair with me um so you, at least you can go there and see like who's available right now yeah i think that's good i think we you know while the trend in open source has been to kind of have that you know bdfl on each project and that's that's neat and all for somebody to have this master vision and this is where the project's going to go and i'm just using the open source community to leverage other people to help me get it in that direction that's mm. that's cool you know that that that's definitely a useful you know one of the many applications of open source but i think what's what's even more uh unique and and, and what i think should what i would like to see grow is the idea that I'm just starting this ball moving and I want right. to see the community get behind it and take it wherever it wants. Right. And, and, and for that, me, for me, the sorry, idea, the idea is I want the idea to always be paramount. I mean, the, the site is incidental. Uh, the site exists, you know, it exists to support the idea, but ultimately it's, I don't want this to become like a technological problem to solve. It's not a technological problem to solve. It's a cultural problem. Right. It's a cultural opportunity. It's a cultural opportunity to enable technical problems being solved. Yes. <laughs> you know, you said the word culture there, and I'm we Andrew mentioned this, might have mentioned this earlier, but uh, so we, he and I work in a distributed team at Pure Charity, 
and we have a back channel. It's also known as our hip chat. So our our actual water cooler at Pure Charity serves as a, as a water cooler here for this show for those that work with us actually listen to the show. But uh, Beverly Nelson, I think you, you might know her, but she mentioned in our chat room, she said 80% of her friends at Ruby Friends uh, is is about bringing them into the culture, not so much the code. And I think there's a lot of magic to what you know she said, and you guys are talking about culture there. I think it, it becomes not so much a... Oh, I know Ruby well, you know, more better than you, or, you know, I've got more experience. It's, it's really about just getting involved, you know, regardless of your, of your level of activity and whatnot, but just jumping in. And that's probably the hardest part too about open source is you, there's just this, this huge intimidation that you have a bunch of assumptions before you're involved that this is how it's going to be. And it's not at all really how it is. And we're a lot more uh, friendlier than people might think, yeah. but you know, I think that's the hardest part is just you know breaking the ice. Something something that I'm I've started uh, doing, uh, which I hope will help with that, uh, is I started putting some of my pairing sessions up on uh, Google Hangout uh, Google Hangout on Air. Yeah. So um, and I didn't really like announce it or anything. I just I, I would be working with someone. And I'd be like, hey, do you mind putting this make, putting this up as a Hangout on Air? And then whoever happened to be around could like tune in and watch us. And I recently did one of these, um, actually with one of my co Ruby rogues, Josh, Josh Susser, um, and put it out there and got a lot of really good feedback from it. And I, I think some of the feedback that I think that was most interesting for me was kind of the like, um, the, the way watching it kind of took the, the magic out of it, like, you know, took the, that aura of, you know, the thing that those coders do is different from what I do. Um, and, you know, I think that if we, maybe if, if, if I and maybe others put some more of our pairing sessions up like that, um, other pro- programmers can look at it and say, oh, wow, that, you know, basically the stuff they do is the same stuff that I do. And, and they make the same boneheaded mistakes and they sit waiting for their tests to pass and, and, you know, and sometimes, sometimes they spend an hour and write three lines of code and, um, and it's not, you know, there's nothing magical about it. There's nothing unique about it. Uh, we're, you know, we're all just doing the same stuff. I think that's kind of something that Steve said, uh, not so much said with his words, but that we're all doing the same stuff. Steve, didn't you, um, for a while there, weren't you Vimeoing, if that's the word, um, like basically just you hacking by yourself, but you were just hacking on Hackity, I believe, and you were sharing that on Vimeo, and people were watching, like, oh yeah, he does the same thing I do, or you would actually have your own commentary in there, and you were just talking to yourself. Yeah, it was with hilarious results. So I didn't, I didn't fully appreciate how to properly mix my audio, or I didn't notice that the <laughs> audio was mixed poorly, and so there's, there's one of me fixing a bug in Ruby Gems um, with like Kesha louder than my voice. So I tried to provide commentary, but instead it's just That's blasting right. yeah, Kesha. I wasn't sure. I, I thought it was something hilarious too, but I was yeah, it was pretty good. So I I would like to get back to doing a little bit of that, but um, you know, I just it's just one of those things where I did it a couple times and it was fun and people liked it, and I just haven't done it since because I haven't done it since not because of any specific reason. So sometimes you got to break the mold, man. You know, just do something, do something a little different. You know, don't follow the same rhythm in the rhyme. It's also just funny because you're like t- when you're like recording your screen, you're always like terrified that something is going to happen. <laughs> like, what am I going to type, or am I going to get like an IM message that should be private, <laughs> or like you know how is this going to work out? So that's also real fun to 
Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's good uh, just in general. That was what I was trying to show with Ruby Gems is that like you know Ruby Gems is a particularly terrible code base due to its history and et cetera. And so uh, you know, watching like here's how I tackle this kind of bug, you know, you could totally do it too was definitely like the point of that. I was like, I don't do anything but just run the tests and cuss over and over and over again. <laughs> I can't imagine if I'm pairing with somebody and and I am from my wife pops up reminding me to get the rash cream or something that would probably be <laughs> oh, the worst boy. thing yeah. ever uh, seems, <laughs> seems bad I just noticed I on pair program might think that you're human or something yeah yeah I don't want that man they are supposed to like I'm supposed to be a demigod of uh, programming or something to them uh, just kidding hopefully <laughs> everyone knew that uh, on pair program with dot me I just noticed the header you say pair widely pair often is yes. that a uh, shout out to the idea yeah, of wide little, teams? A little reference to wide teams there. That's the second. Uh, last week we had Docker on, and they had a uh, num- they had their on their frequently asked questions. They went numbers one, two, three, four, five, and then to forty two. So this is the second little uh, nugget I found in the uh, products. You're, you're so cool. you're so keen, man. You know that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so confident Ruby, uh, another book that you are writing still i mean it's in beta does that mean you're still it's writing in beta. It? it's in beta which means that i've pronounced it content complete um after taking kent beck's advice to get it to 150 pages and then just stop um and so it's i'm still editing the, the crap out of it but um but it's content complete and this book um again stemmed from a talk that you've been giving yeah it, um actually i think it was the first talk i wrote um, which I called Confident Code, and uh, it's it's all about writing methods that tell a coherent story, uh, sort of a narr- narrative style of of writing methods is is how I think of it, and and a lot of that involves uh, writing code that uh, sort of confidently progresses forward without a lot of tangents and diversions and provisos mm-hmm. because of uncertainties about input or uncertainties about errors that might occur. Um, and just, uh, it's basically a patterns book and it's a book of patterns, um, that are strategies for making your code more confident for, you know, telling those stories, uh, more coherently, uh, and, you know, isolating, isolating the error handling and, and dealing with, with input in such a way that you don't have to be uncertain about it in the midst of the method and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a. Uh, where can you? Where can, I couldn't find it anywhere other than on your uh, on your store. Is there anywhere that if like, you go, a- if you go to confident, I think if you go to confidentruby.com, you'll actually actually I think that'll redirect you to the blog post where I first introduced it. Um, and so that's probably the easiest way to get to it. Uh, you can also find announcements about it uh, on my blog, which is devblog.ovd.org. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have this. I found the link. We'll have the link in the show notes for those of you listening to the podcast. Head to five by five slash changelog slash ninety to see all the show notes and links and everything else. So don't be lost. So, um, Avdi, what yes. are your speaking uh, engagements planned for the future that you already have set up? I keep meaning to put together like a co- uh, an actual list of them. Um, let's see. Uh, next one up, I know, is going to be. Um, uh, yeah, name. <laughs> God, uh, the one in in DC, Arlington. Not not yeah. Uh, yeah, the one. In, uh, oh gosh, it's uh oh uh Ruby Nation. 
Ruby Nation, thank you. Thank that you. Was funny. My, my mind wanted to be like Nation Ruby, and then it was like, no, that's not right. Um, yes, Ruby Nation. Um, and uh, in just like a couple of weeks. And speaking and, of Ruby Nation, you gave this confident code talk there too. Yeah, I guess I did. Um, I, I'm doing a, I believe I'm going to be doing a talk on uh, uh, coding and joy, basically. Uh, little little bits of Ruby that just make me happy uh, this time around. So, um, yeah, that'll be fun. And then uh, after that, um, several others, I think, uh, well, I'm going to be going to Pittsburgh, Steel City Ruby. Yeah. Um, Love Pittsburgh. Woo! Stack Adam is <laughs> from Pittsburgh. Yeah, originally. Born and raised in the Pittsburgh area. So that's, uh, Steve, where are you at? I mean, I, in... I live in Santa Monica now, but um, I, I lived in Pittsburgh my entire life before moving to Los Angeles. See? So there you go. I thought so. So everyone, everyone on this chat has some connections to Pennsylvania. That's that that has happened in pretty much every chat that I've ever had. I found it's weird. Yeah, it's six degrees of Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll be at Steel City Ruby. Um, when is that? On the date that it is on. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't August, matter. middle <laughs> August, sometime. Awesome. So for those of you who are uh, new to the show and those of you that have listened, you'll know, uh, we ask all of our guests these two questions. Um, The first one, Abdi, is for a call to arms. And I guess in this case, you could give us a specific call to arms for pair program without me if you want. Or uh, just kind of what you would like to see the community do around this. I, I, th- I don't think it's going to come as any surprises at, at all. It's it's just go out there and pair with each other. Go you know go ask um, if you have somebody that you've always wanted to you know learn from. Go ask them if you have some time in your day uh, you know that you would be working on open source or something anyway. Put that welcome ad out there. Put the badge on your blog. Put the you know hashtag pair with me on your Twitter feed if you do the twitters. Um, make yourself avail- available. Uh, I think you'll find it incredibly re- rewarding to to pair widely, pair diversely, um, pair more often. How do you feel about pairing on m- more conceptual? Like if somebody's a Python developer and you don't have <clears throat> Python experience, c- pairing conceptually on an idea, what, how do you feel about that? I think it still totally works. Uh, just the other day, uh, I paired with somebody on some .NET code, some C-sharp code, and granted... Um, I have done C sharp before, but it was years and years ago, and I was totally rusty, uh, and it didn't matter. I just basically I had I had them be the driver. Uh, it could have worked either way, but it, it worked. That was nice, just because they already had their whole environment set up, and they had their IDE, and they knew the key bindings, and you know how to make the tests go and stuff like that. Um, but uh, it was fun because I actually got to teach them something about uh, something about C sharp, uh, not because I knew it, but because I, I just sort of like basically um, figured that a particular um, uh, library call had to exist and looked it up until we found it. And uh, <laughs> basically it was using a more functional functional approach to solving a problem than they were used to. Maybe as an attachment to your call of arms, I have a couple ideas that I can share with you on the fly. Maybe um, start a wiki page for those who on uh, the PPWM repo you have on your uh, for user, maybe a wiki page that says, hey, I'm open for pairing and or moving this to a, an org and maybe having just a project for issues where you can kind of allow mm. issues to coordinate the community potentially. Mm-hmm. 
just an idea. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thought. Actually, we've we we have started using the the wiki a little bit uh, on the the GitHub page for it. Gotcha. It says, "Welcome to PPWM." <laughs> I'm just messing with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, one thing, I did want to give a shout out. This is a community project, yeah. but um, at the bottom, I noticed you said the design was done by Chris Radford and mm. the badge was done by. Uh, David Browning, so kind of wanted to give them a little bit of yes. a shout out for getting in on this thing early with you. Yeah, yeah, um, and they totally deserve it. Um, much uh, gratitude to both of them and to everybody who submitted a pull request. All right, and our last question: If you could name a programming hero, or again somebody in the idea of distributed workplaces, or wherever you might think, what would who would you say your hero would be? Um. So. I could obviously name any number of uh, amazing programmers that have influenced me and that I look up to. Uh, but I think I want to give a shout out to Angela Harms um, because she's she's been doing some talks in the Ruby community lately. Well, in the programming community lately, not specifically the Ruby community. She's, she's uh, I guess, maybe more um, part of the Agile community, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um that's I think that would be her background, but it seems right. Yeah, um, and she has been she she talks to to programmers about compassion, and she does it in a way that's that's effective and um, you know really uh, is eye opening and um, I think heart opening, and I think that's wonderful, and I think it's much needed. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm going to say Angela Harms. Did she? I wanted like I remember there was something like uh, radical something that she did, or that I remember seeing her name on. Do you I'm, I'm actually like, not sure of like any of the. I don't recall any of the specific titles of her talks. Radical but. love or something like that. But yeah, no, I, I definitely have. Um, well, it's not radicallove.org. It's dot org. It's something that she did. But yeah, uh, or at least I remember hearing her name with. But I, I agree with you. I think that there's something inherent that we need to see in this community and it's 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 the idea of like i don't know just acceptance of people in this community and you can get bogged down in what you know the ruby drama or whatever we we call it where um you just you get on and you follow some of the big names in the ruby community and it's there can be a lot of name calling and a lot of just trash going back and forth. And I don't know if maybe that's what you're hinting at, but I would like to see less of that and more of just people gen- genuinely respecting each other in the in the community. Well, you know, not just a Ruby thing; it's just a programmer thing in general. I think um, we we have a culture that's very very rationality centric, uh, very logic centric. Um, you in know, theory. very often. I th- yeah, in theory, we believe it to be, mm-hmm. um, and of course, we also believe ourselves to be very logical. Um, and I think a lot of, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, we think that solving a problem boils down to being the most rational person in the room. Uh, and I think the stuff that she's talking about will challenge that. And I think it'll challenge that in, in a good and important way. Yeah, that is true. I mean, I think it begins with, uh, it begins with you, right? It begins with us, uh, as an individual to, to be different and to act differently. So, um, don't be a hater. Repeat after me. We are all different. <laughs> Come on. Somebody's got to. We are all. Yeah. Somebody's got. Uh, nobody. Uh, the response. The response is, I'm not. 
Gotta be some some Python fans in the audience at least. Yeah, hopefully somebody will get it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has certainly been a definitely been a, a fun chat, Avi. I definitely appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. It's it's a fun conversation. Uh, you're always invited back. Certainly appreciate all that you're doing in the community and what you've done with uh, pair programming and just lifting that up and sharing what that can be and just starting the movement as as Andrew mentioned before and uh, definitely thanks to Andrew and, and Steve for coming on the show what a what a great show you guys uh, put on today and thanks to you for the listeners out there listening live this show does broadcast live every Tuesday at uh, at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time you're on 5 by 5 if you want to check out back our backlog you can go to 5x5.tv slash changelog this is episode number 90 so uh, you, you definitely enjoyed it but Let's close this one out and say goodbye. See y'all later. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.